Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. I hope it's a payday for you. For you weekly and bi-weekly wage runners, today might be the day of magic. Hopefully you've got some money to get out and go do some cool things with friends and family. Maybe, just maybe, you're headed to Starkville to watch the Hogs and Dogs play a little baseball. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Had some conversations with some friends in the Arkansas media. They had me on their shows. And uh, if I'm tagged in that, I'll certainly share it on Twitter for you guys. We talked a little bit about baseball. And it's always interesting to get their perspective on and off the record. You know, last weekend, in the days leading up to State and LSU series, you know, I talked to you know, some friends in the LSU media, talked to Ben McDonald and some others, and everybody's like, you know, this is going to be a good measuring stick for LSU. We don't quite sure know who they are just yet. And I think we all felt pretty confident. So, you know, we're going to go down there with our, our regular rotation for the first time this year, and we're going to go down there and win that series. That's exactly what we did. And we did not get the result we wanted on Sunday. But it wasn't a big surprise that we went and won the series. As I told you guys last Friday, we're better than LSU. And I, I don't I, – to be honest with you, I think we're better than we even showed – They've got a great frontline pitcher on Friday and Saturday, but Labus is the guy that shut us down on Sunday, and I think that's going to bode well for us down the road because I think they're going to pick off some people for us. I don't see LSU getting swept. I think they'll put a game or two in the loss column for a lot of these teams that we're uh, competing with in the SEC West. Now, we're going to get into this a little later in the show, but I'm going to be honest with you right now. I know Arkansas has got the number one ranking in the country according to most polls. I think we're better than them, too. And I think we're going to prove it. I think we're going to win that series. And I think this time next week, we're going to be the hunted rather than the hunter. Now, Vanderbilt, of course, has a you know, pretty easy schedule this week. You know, I watched a little bit of Vanderbilt on Thursday night against Mizzou. Mizzou gets up early, one nothing, and then Vandy just took control. And let me just share with you guys, too, Missouri's awful. I mean, they are awful. They're not a bad SEC team. They're a bad college baseball team. And there's a reason they're the only team in the Southeastern Conference that has a losing record overall. And after watching them play tonight against Vanderbilt, and I didn't think Kumar Rocker was especially good. I mean, you know, and, and granted, his pretty good's better than most people's great. But he went up against a pretty anemic offense. He went up against a team, too, that could, could not field baseball. And so once Vandy got rolling, they kept rolling. But, uh, you know, we'll worry about Vandy when we get here. And when we get there, I guess, in Nashville. But uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Just like last weekend, I think this weekend is going to be one that Bulldog fans are excited about. You know, if you're Auburn, it might be time, you know, to hit the reset button. Just a little bit. I know that they're missing uh, Fitz. There's a lot of people that think he's a potential first-rounder. They want to get him back in the rotation. But listen, here's the thing, too. It's kind of been that way the last couple of years for Auburn. 
there's been some guys with some, you know, some soreness. There's been some, some starters, some weekend guys that have missed some starts. And maybe that's the book on Auburn. I know they are very, very bad offensively. They lost a lot. We expected them to kind of take a step back in many respects. I worried a little bit about that pitching, and it's always tough to win on the road. And my hope is that's the case this weekend when Arkansas comes to Mississippi State. So we'll talk about that. And I don't want to get on a soapbox too much today because it is Friday. But one of the things I want to share, and I started to write about this on Facebook too. You know, one of the things that bothers me is why why is it not okay for us not to like certain things and certain people? And I, I don't understand that. Why do we have to offer an explanation? And this is the platitudes, I guess, that some people complain about on this show. But uh, I don't understand why we can't just have an opinion. You know, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, there are some people that I don't really care for, and I don't necessarily have a good reason. You know, maybe we just don't jive. And there are a lot of people that don't like me, and some of them feel like they've got a good reason. Uh, you know, they're hating me and, uh, you know, feeling that burden themselves because I don't really care. But I, I get so wound up with this stuff sometimes. I'm not going to go into the, the details or anything, but it's just one of those things that just really is a burr in the saddle for me. You know, you know, I don't like onions. And you know why I don't like onions? Because I don't like the taste of onions. And you know what? That's as far as I need to go with it. People say, I don't understand. How can you like onions? Well, I, I feel the same way about Motley Crue. I don't understand how you couldn't be like Motley Crue. How do you not like Whitesnake? Oh, well, Steve, I did when I was younger. Well, maybe, maybe you did. Or maybe you were a poser. And you just liked it because it was popular. I think it's okay for you to like whatever you want to like. And I also think it's okay for you to dislike whatever you don't want to like. And I don't think you owe me or anybody else an explanation. If you don't like it, you don't have to like it. One of the biggest moments that ever happened in my life, and I'll share this and we'll move on with the show, is when I was in rehab, believe it or not, and uh, it was family week, and goodness gracious, man, family week is like the longest week of your life, but it's an important week. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, just kind of talking, and and there's this guy kind of taking my inventory, and he's like, you know, he's like, you know, Steve, you did this, you said this, and and finally got had enough, and I was like, you know, here's the deal, man, you know, I, I respect the fact that you got like a year sober, but you got like the best year sober your daddy's insurance could pay for, and so I don't like you. And uh, my counselor immediately said, and you know what, Steve, you don't have to. It was one of the most empowering moments of my life because all of a sudden I felt like my feelings mattered. And so let me, let me share that with you. Let me give that same gift to you. You don't have to like anybody. You don't have to like anything. And you don't need a good reason for it either. The fact that you don't like it could be the reason that you have. You know, I don't like this person. You know, maybe when they were around me, they talked a little bit too loud. Or maybe they just caught me on the wrong day and I got a negative impression of them. But either way, it's okay not to like something or somebody. If we all liked the same things, it would be awfully boring. I mean, it really would. I know we all like Mississippi State, which is why we're here together. And so uh, my hope is we can uh, have a lot to like here uh, in the coming days as we celebrate hopefully some more wins. How about that? You can celebrate at Bulldog Burger Company, too. Great people, great food, great prices, great atmosphere. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. If you've already been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can go in there and find your own favorites, and there's some new items on the menu, the full of bologna. I'm getting some rave reviews about that. Some people said, you know what, Steve, I wasn't quite sure about it. I tried it. I love it. The Grilled Chicken Club, an absolute home run. 
uh, Roy Samante. You guys know Roy well from the Spotify list. Roy puts that stuff together so you guys can enjoy those lists, and I thank him for that. Roy had the tuna burger, that I ate tuna burger, and gave it two thumbs up. I trust Roy's opinion. He and I have had Bulldog Burger together. We broke bread together at Bulldog Burger Company and had a great time. It's a great place just to go sit and have a meal and kind of enjoy uh, kind of conversating with friends or conversing, I guess would be the proper term there. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Star Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Let's talk a little basketball. Top story, Mississippi State beats the Richmond Spiders. And uh, it's one of those things, too. You know, listen, about 30 minutes before the game, I broke a story that uh, Tolu Smith was uh, unavailable for the ball game. Now, Ben Howland kind of expounded on that in post game, and there is a possibility of us getting them back. I think it's probably best if we don't expect them back and we get them back, it's a bonus. But we won the game without him. Now, Richmond was short a couple of guys, too. Let's be fair, okay? But here's the deal. You know, I get a little tired of this, too. I guess I said I wasn't going to be on the soapbox, but um, why do we always have to explain away our successes as if we got lucky? You know, Richmond's lucky they didn't have to play Tolu Smith. You know, we're lucky we didn't have to play with, you know, a couple of their leading scorers out there. I mean, it is what it is. It still said Richmond Spiders in the box score. It still said Mississippi State Bulldogs in the box score. And you know what? They're headed home. We're not. We're getting to keep playing. And it took us a little while to get going. I mean, listen, give Richmond some credit. Defensively, they're a really good team. And they really are. They get out there and they extend the defense and, you know, they don't let you get set up in your half-court sets. And, you know, a lot of times it's like a fire drill out there. But, uh, you know, listen, it took us a while to get going, but I really thought we worked hard and never really gave up. And it probably took us some time, too, to kind of adjust not having Tolu Smith out there. Uh, you know, we took our first lead, I guess, with, what, 13-14 um, to go. Is that right? Is that our first lead? Yeah, I guess we're up to nothing. And then uh, they went on a pretty good run there. We battle back. We take the lead there at 10-9. And then from there, it seemed like Richmond was the fresher team. They had a lot more energy. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you know, they've got, what, a seven-point lead there, 21-14. And it really kind of felt like we were somewhat disjointed. State battles back, and it's a 2023 ball game. You know, as we're kind of beginning our run there, and just when it seems like, okay, we get the three from DJ, and so, okay, now here we go. Well, then they answer with the three, and the next thing you know, they're up seven. And it really felt like, you know, that we were in somewhat of a trouble there. They were kind of managing the game. We were playing their game. We really closed out that first half really well, and I thought that was a difference in the ball game, to be honest with you, because if we go down there at the half by 10, I don't know if we have that same level of intensity coming out of the break, but uh, give Ben Howland and his team some credit. They did a great job kind of you know, rallying the troops there at the halftime. And so we're down seven, we battle back, and then they hit the big three, I guess, Jacob Gilliard. And he was the guy that was kind of a, you know, a burr in the Bulldog saddle all night to put him back up five. We go down and we get a, a basket to cut it to three. They go back up four. And then, you know, we get a couple free throws, and it's a two-point game just over two minutes to go. <laughs> and, you know, State rallies down that, the end of the first half. Of course, they go up 32-29, and we tie it at 32. They get a jumper late in the paint. 
And then DJ hits one, uh, you know, right at the end of the first half to make it 34-all. And I really felt like we were fortunate at that point to be tied because it felt like for the majority of the middle, the middle half of that first half that they were better than us. It seemed like for us everything was kind of a struggle offensively and that they were able to get in some open looks. You know, their, their offense kind of lends us backdoor cuts. There's a lot of read and react type stuff. And that they were beating us. Uh, to the spot, and of course, uh, Abdul will do get some little foul trouble, and we'll talk about that a little more here shortly. But yeah, you, know, you don't have Tolu out there, you don't have Abdul out there, and they're able to kind of get there without a rim protector. And the next thing you know, we're making a run when they should have been putting us away. We made a run with our size on the bench, and I thought it said a lot about our team, a lot about DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar. And man, how good can those guys be if they come back next year? And of course, I think Molinar is for sure. I think DJ, I mean, people say, where's he going to go? I mean, he's got to work on some things defensively, got to cut down on the turnovers. But uh, this is a guy that's got some moxie about him, to say the least. So we come out that second half, and it seemed like we had a little more juice. I mean, it really did. I mean, to me, I felt like we had kind of figured some things out. We kind of figured out some things they were doing offensively, and we were able to kind of slow them down a little bit. We come right out, and then JV and Davis got it starting in place of Tully Smith, knocks down a big three off the left wing there uh, to put us up three. And it really felt like after that we were going to take charge of the basketball game. Uh, we go up by as many as five after a couple of free throws from DJ, and then they answer with a big three. That Matt Grace kid I thought had a really good game for them. It seemed like we had trouble kind of matching up with him out there on the perimeter. We go back up five, and then they answer again. We go back up five, they answer again. 44-41 with uh, just under 16, and then they, they pull to within one and then take a two-point lead. Quentin Post uh, made a big basket there to tie it at 46. And it was pretty much a back-and-forth game the rest of the way. You know, I guess uh, probably our biggest lead, maybe four or five points there in the second half, but it's like neither one of us could kind of take charge of the game. So we just kind of stayed right there you know, within within striking distance. And then late, it seemed like every call was going against us. Now, I have watched nearly every Mississippi State men's basketball game this year. I've watched every – I've covered just about every game the last few years, at least home games. The crew that we had tonight in Denton, Texas, might might have been the worst men's basketball crew that I've seen in recent years. And I'm, that's not hyperbole. You know, it's easy to complain about officiating when you lose. I thought they were awful, and not just against Mississippi State. I thought it was for both teams. But down the stretch, it seemed like they kind of got on a roll with Richmond. And it's one of those things that's incredible, too. It's like you can go down, you anticipate contact, you get contact, you don't get a foul. And then the next time down, they call, call them for hand checking. You know, it's kind of like, oh, we missed a call, let's make it up. We missed a call, let's make it up. Just call the game. You know, we understand that there is some uh, some human error involved in all this. I thought the officiating was atrocious, and I thought it nearly cost us the ball game because down the stretch there, it seemed like every call was going against us. You know, they're up four, under six there, and then we come back and uh, you know we get a, one of our make one free throw, and we get I guess we get both free throws. We're down two, uh, right at the five minute mark, and then they get the layup on the steal to go up 63-59, under four to go, and it really felt like we were in trouble. We get a nice isolation play and dish it down to a dude who heaves at home. And before I even get to the rest of this ball game, and you guys saw that 
What, what his fourth foul was a joke. The fifth foul was a travesty of justice. If, if, I'm, if I'm the NCAA secretary of officials and I went and watched this game, I would say, what, what are we doing? How do these guys get this assignment? And there's a reason they're calling an NIT game instead of NCAA games, and it shows. But you call that ticky-tack foul on a do, and I don't know. It seemed like it's been that way all year. And it's like I, I begin to think sometimes, you know, when you have some guys that maybe have attitude problems, you kind of expect that. You know, it's the Dennis Rodman factor. When you have some people that do or say some things that maybe irritate people, they're not going to get the benefit of a call. That's not Abdul Adu. That's not who he is at all. Very tender-hearted, soft-spoken guy that plays with a lot of fire on the court. Not necessarily a great offensive player. But he's not a guy that creates controversy. He's not a guy that draws the attention of officials. But for some reason this year, it seems like they've kind of picked on him a little bit. And that was the case tonight. He is standing there on the screen. And I know there's some basketball hipsters out there. There's always, there's always are. No matter what, what really happens, there's always people that have a different interpretation of it because I think they enjoy playing devil's advocate. Abdul Adu did not set an illegal screen. Abdul Adu was standing there. And the defender runs into him. And it's on his teammates that let him get blown up there. You've got, you know, you've got a little guard, a little two-guard that runs into a near seven-footer that's you know, standing there with his feet planted. You're not going to win that. And so it's on, it's, on the other, it's on the other defenders to holler out screen. They don't. It looks bad, and it looked to me like the officials kind of anticipated the call. Because of how violent the collision was, they called a foul on Abdul Adu. Well, here's the thing. If anything, that should have been a foul on the defender. You can't just run somebody over out there. That's just not how life works, not how basketball works. Now, we expect some contact, which is why you set the screen. But if you run, you know, blind-eyed right into a screen and run somebody over, the foul is on you. And so they foul them out, and they get together, and they realize, you know what, we made a big mistake. And Let's review it for flagrant. Oh, well, our bad. No foul. I don't even know how that's possible. But they put him back in the ball game, and, and how poetic would it have been if he'd have made the free throws to tie it? He didn't, but we'll get to that a little bit later. That would have been a tough thing to live with, right? So it is a 63-61 ball game with 3.23 to go. They miss a three, and then we go down, and we miss a jumper. They go down, and next thing you know, Matt Grace is in the lane and uh, knocking a shot down, puts them up four under two minutes to go, and it really felt like it wasn't going to be our night. DJ answers to put us within two, and then we get uh, we get a couple of free throws. I and mean, It was a great night from the line for the Bulldogs. So it's a 65-all game with 49 seconds to go, and they go down and took a really quick shot. Uh, Jacob Gilliard, you know, listen, you got to take a shot when you can get them. But he beat Devion Smith to the, to the spot, got that little floater up there, and took a two-point lead. And it really just felt like we were out of it at that point. 67-65, we miss a shot, we get a rebound, and then they call the foul. And Abdul Abdul goes to the line with 11 seconds to go. I guess somebody put a couple seconds back on the shot clock there, on the clock. But uh, he's going to step up. We had not missed a free throw the whole night before this moment. And he misses them both. And I began to think, man, what, a, what an awful way to have to end your career and live with that. 
Now, Abdullah Du has not been what Ben Hallen promised us he would be. But he is a good young man. And that would have been a very difficult thing to have to live with. So, you know what, it was me at the line with a chance to tie it and maybe send the game to overtime. And I missed the free throws. But instead, that burden and that memory shifts to the other side, right? <laughs> because uh, next thing you know, we, we, we missed the free throw. We don't get the rebound. And they throw it around. And then Andre uh, Gustafson gets the ball. We foul him in the open floor. And he goes to the line to shoot one and one. A 76% free throw shooter, and he misses the front end. Uh, Quentin Post gets a rebound, gets it out in the hands of D.J. Stewart. And uh, really, I thought that pass was nearly picked. It was so crazy about it. It's like when you begin to you go back and look at that, Jacob Gilliard nearly jumped that passing lane there, and then he had to play catch-up. And it's like nobody knew what to do with D.J. Stewart, and then D.J. goes down and hits that left-handed stroke and uh, – 1.8, 2 point seconds to go, whatever it was. You know, the game was essentially over. I don't know what kind of play you're going to run with two seconds to go. But instead, the Bulldogs get their hands on the uh, on the loose ball there, and, and the game is over. I mean, it, it's just insane to think about how that thing ended. And if you're like me, when Abdul missed, missed the first one, I said, well, that's it. Game's over. I gave up. It's a good thing that uh, DJ Stewart didn't. It's a good thing that the Bulldogs didn't. We had the presence of mind to foul and extend the game there and did a good job. It's exciting. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like I think what these last couple of ball games have reminded me of, and I hope that you feel the same way, is how much I have enjoyed men's basketball in recent years. And really, you know, I miss the fact that we're not in the tournament. But you know what? We needed to keep playing. We didn't expect to keep playing. We had some teams opt out of the NIT. We jump in there, and now we've won a couple of games. Now we're 17 and 14. No matter what happens the rest of the way, it's been a winning year in Starkville. It's insane to think about that. There was a time after we lost to Vanderbilt, I said, you know what, this team is going to – they're going to go in the tank. But we didn't. Let's run down the numbers here. DJ Stewart, 22 points on the night, which uh, tied Jacob Gilliard for, uh, you know, the, the high in the ball game. Iverson Molinar, 18 points, and was 7 of 10 from the floor. You know, he's not the volume shooter that DJ is. DJ, 10 of 10 from the line. We won this ball game at the free throw line, 16 of 18. Iverson Molinar also picking up the rebounding slack with seven boards himself. Abdullah Du, uh, 11 boards, eight points, despite having all those fouls. You know, he, he only got to play 26 minutes of actions, but uh, of action, but he impacted the game. Javian Davis in the start, 24 minutes for him. Uh, just the five points, three fouls, seven rebounds, though. Thought he got out and played pretty well. Derek Fountain got the start, had the one three. And, again, he's a guy, too, that's kind of a glue guy. I thought Cam Matthews gave us some good minutes, too, defensively out there. He is very, very active when he gets out there. Quentin Post only played nine minutes, uh, had a couple of big rebounds, had the one big rebound for us, and I, there's another one they didn't credit him for, but I thought he had two. Uh, six points for him, and I know that we spot him up and try to shoot that three every now and again. It's not always in rhythm, but sometimes he makes it. Tonight he didn't. Devion Smith at times gets a little bit out of control, but that kid's a real weapon. That kid really pressures people into making bad decisions. And so once Howland kind of gets him kind of playing within himself, he's going to be a great player for us. 26 minutes for him, uh, four rebounds. Just the one personal foul handed out four assists as well. So Mississippi State, 
39 rebounds on the night, despite the fact they didn't have Tolu Smith. They out-rebound Richmond by 16. So if I told you that we're going to be a double-digit advantage on rebounds without Tolu Smith, you probably never would have believed that. But it worked out. And so now everybody's wondering, okay, well, who will Mississippi State play next? Well, the other game in our bracket was between Western Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. A lot of people are thinking, okay, well, maybe we can get um, that Rick Stansberry Ben Howen matchup. And Ben did say in postgame that they spent some time watching film together uh, last night. Louisiana Tech now 14 and 5 on the year. Pretty good year for the other the other Bulldogs over there. They they do beat Western Kentucky. So they will advance to the semifinals against us. And of course, all these games are played out at the Comerica Center in Denton, Texas. But uh, awfully interesting, you know, to kind of see how the, the, the dynamics and all this are kind of shaking up. You know, if like we had played Stansberry, that'd be interesting. Uh, we get a chance to play Louisiana Tech 22 and 7 is the overall record there. My apologies. 22 and 7, 12 and 4 in their league. But when you begin to break this thing down and kind of look at this, I mean, you know, you know a lot of people thought, well, you know, Louisiana Tech's maybe better than we thought. I don't think so. I think they, uh, you know, they're, I think they're a team that, uh, you know, has been opportunistic, kind of getting hot at the right time. But this is a team that's been up and down the floor and scored a lot of points. And we're going to have to really bring a good defensive effort, to say the least. But, I, listen, I think, again, I think it's a game that we can win. They, they split with Western Kentucky in the regular season. They have not done especially well against SEC teams this year. Uh, LSU beats them in Baton Rouge 86-55. to They did play a lot of in-state competition this year. And then uh, I guess the only other SEC game that I'm looking at it here is uh, they beat Ole Miss. And so it almost would be poetic justice for us to win that game. And uh, to beat old, to beat up Louisiana Tech, and and here's one of the things that I think it's important to share too. I, I read some of the comments out there, and and I read some of the stuff on social media, and people say, well, you know, it's just the NIT, and you know what, you're right, but who cares? You know, we needed something to feel good about when it came to men's basketball, and if it's the NIT, if it's us making a run to the Final Four, of the NIT, and perhaps maybe getting to the finals of the NIT, then so be it. We knew that it was going to be a difficult year. We're going to end the year with a winning record, an 8-10 and 10 record in the SEC. Yes, there are a handful of games out there that we lost that we should have won. I can think of a handful of them right now. And so when you begin to kind of break that down, you can say, you know what, we've had some really embarrassing losses and we've had some other losses that uh, we let get away from us, whether it be from coaching or poor execution or whatever. But now all of a sudden we've got some things to cheer about. And it kind of gives this team some momentum, kind of working in uh, to next year. Those are the things that excite me as I begin to think, okay, this is a team that did not expect to be able to play a postseason game outside of the SEC tournament, and now they've gotten a couple more wins under their belt. And so it gives you some lift kind of moving forward. That excites me. You know, and, again, you guys have heard the show many times I have not been the most supportive of one Ben Howland. But when I begin to think about how this team is kind of, you know, meshed and gelled down the stretch, I can you – know, then all of a sudden I start thinking, you know what, it was the right decision to kind of hang on here. You know, because he's got them playing well. You run the numbers back here, you beat Richmond, you beat St. Louis, you go one and one in, a, in the SEC tournament, that makes you three and one your last four. You lose to Auburn, you're three and two. You beat A and M, you're four and two. You lose to Bama, four and three. You beat South Carolina, 
and Ole Miss, and all of a sudden, you know, your last eight or nine games there, you know, you're well above 500. And so we're playing our best basketball down the stretch, and I think this team is really kind of coming together. And you've got some young guys out there that need some minutes, and that's what they're getting. And if that means it's in the NIT and, you know, well, you know, it's, uh, it's so funny, too, to hear all most people talk. Well, you're competing to be the 65th best team in America. You know, you were in the same tournament you got beat in the first round, right? So you don't even qualify to be 65th. And so you accepted a bit of this tournament and you got blasted in round one. And then here we are playing our third game in the tournament and you're going to be critical of us for being excited about it. I don't care. I've said many times we don't need a lesson on how to act from Ole Miss people. And so I wish we'd just kind of stop responding to that nonsense on Twitter. I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, what, what do you gain? They're just trying to say things to goad us and kind of get, in our feel, get us upset and that sort of stuff. Who cares what they think? I don't. I don't care. I'm happy that Mississippi State has found something to feel good about when it comes to men's basketball because most of this year – we haven't felt good. I mean, early in the year, we kind of got going. You know, we lost a couple of games without Iverson. You get him back, and we go on a little bit of a run there, and we say, hey, we're okay. We go down there, and we beat Georgia, and we think, okay, listen, this is a Georgia team that's pretty good. We went down there and dominated them. And then we went on the roller coaster. And so now it just kind of feels like things are stabilizing a little bit. And so I'm not going to let anybody, whether it be, you know, a self-loathing Mississippi State fan or some old Miss fan kind of robbed me of that. Because, again, it's been a while since I've really felt like, you know what, we're heading in the right direction. And, listen, we got to be a lot better on offense. And, you know, some of that's with young players and some of that's, you know, you're going to jack up some bad shots. You're not always going to work for the easiest shot. But we're winning. And we're beating winning teams. And so when I begin to kind of think about next year, if this gives us a springboard into next year, then I hope it lasts as long as it possibly can. I mean, if we're in the thing now, let's just go ahead and win the deal, right? And how cool would that be? You know, we've made the Final Four a couple times in the NIT. But, you know, if, if they're going to give somebody a trophy at the end of this thing, I mean, why not us? I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, obviously Louisiana Tech's playing pretty well right now, but – yeah, we're capable of beating them. And who knows what happens if we get Tolu Smith back. Ben Howen said in the postgame that uh, Tolu's had a couple of negative tests. And so it appears to be, and again, I say appears to be, based on Ben's comments, appears to be kind of a contact tracing issue. And so we don't play again until Saturday at 2 o'clock against Louisiana Tech. I guess a lot could happen between now and then. Maybe if he gets a third negative, you know, maybe he can play. You know, so we'll see. And he ought to have fresh legs under him, right? But, again, congratulations to Ben Howen, the Mississippi State men's basketball team, for giving us something to feel good about for men's basketball again. And, uh, again, I hope it's a sign of uh, some bigger things to come. It is now time for the top ten list. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just 
for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Brought to you by Dr. Robert Yarber. I've known Doc a long time. Been a jeans pager a long time. We used to share a dog. Got a dog from him, Lucy. She was great. Think a lot of her. Think a lot of Doc. And listen, you will too. If you're a person that has dealt with the sinus pressure and it seems like it's this chronic allergy problem, but it's not allergies. You know, you've been to the allergy doctor and you're like, oh, well, just take Zyrtec every day. If you're tired of doing that, if you're looking for a more permanent solution, you got to give Doc a chance to help you. Dr. Robert Yarborough, one of the great physicians from the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi, ENT, ear, nose, and throat. It's what they specialize in. And there are a lot of people walking around with unresolved issues when it comes to ear, nose, and throat. Go by and see Dr. Yarbrough. Two locations to serve you right here at 910 Stark Road in Stark Vegas and then 618 Pegram Drive there in Tupelo. Many of you have never even thought about going to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. But rather than suffer with those chronic issues, let Dr. Dr. Yarbrough help you. Call today, 662-844-6513. Again, that's 662-844-6513. He's a local guy that's going to take care of you. I'm telling you, sinus problems, common ear and throat problems in children. And there's so many, you know how it is with your kids, man. It's like when all of a sudden you realize that they're, they're in pain or they're suffering and you find a way to fix it, all of a sudden you feel like a super parent. You know, so, so don't let yourself or your children suffer what it's any longer. 
contact Dr. Yarborough with the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. Okay, so today's top 10 list, we're going country today. But we're going a little hometown country. You know, I share with you guys, we did the uh, the walk-ups. And I'll be honest with you, the country walk-up list didn't do exceptionally well. Now, the, the top walk-ups, the rock walk-ups did really good. The rap walk-ups were awful. Like, the numbers just didn't, I mean, I didn't think they were very good songs either. And, we, and I've had many of you rap fans that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I agree with you. A lot of those rap walk-ups for the Bulldogs this year are real stinkers. But you know what? They didn't conduct an opinion poll, but uh, that didn't stop us from sharing our thoughts. But I stumbled upon a great song, and I had it as the number one country walk-up this year, and it's Luke Hancock's song uh, by Hardy. Now, Hardy is from Winston County, Mississippi. His real name is Michael Hardy. His dad, Mike Hardy, has run the chains at Mississippi State forever and a day. And so Hardy, or Michael, as uh, those back home call him, he's a big bulldog. And if you look in some of his videos, he wears Mississippi State stuff all the time. He's one of us. And so I thought, you know what? I have really enjoyed over the course of the last two weeks getting to know his catalog. And I said, you know what? This is not really my normal thing. And the fact that I, that a rocker like me could find a lot of value in this Hardy thing should tell you how good it is. I mean, he is really, really good. He is a great songwriter. And so, and one, uh, I guess, song of the year, I guess Blake Shelton did the song God's Country that is actually written about this neck of the woods here, you know, kind of growing up here in North Mississippi. And I was told, uh, Bart Gregory shared with me that uh, when he talked to Hardy about that song, that he said, you know, whenever that he and his dad would cross the county line in Octavia County, that his dad would say, you know what, this is God's country. And that's where kind of uh, the inspiration for that song came from. So in, in many respects, it's kind of written about us and written about Starkville. And so the fact that Hardy is a very talented guy, but also a bulldog and a Mississippi guy, I said, you know what, I want to support this guy. And so let's talk about his music on the show. And let's maybe turn some of you guys onto it. So I'm going to tell you this, if you're not, don't just turn your nose up at this if you're not a, a, quote, country guy. Because I'm not a country guy. But I tell you what, man, I have loved getting to know this stuff. So here's a couple songs that didn't make my top ten that are really cool songs. And one of, one of them is Boyfriend. I don't want to be your boyfriend anymore. And it's about getting married and you know raising babies and having a picket fence and well, all that good stuff. And then he went to Jared, which there's a cool lyric in there. Uh, you know, but basically lost his uh, you know girlfriend to some preppy guy. Said he went to Jared, I went to the bar. Uh, he went to Ole Miss, I went to work. He pushes paper, I push dirt. Uh, he's all clean cut, driving a clean truck. You know, and so it, it's a lot of that stuff. It's very relatable stuff to Mississippians, you know. But those are a couple honorable mentions. And so here are my top ten hearty songs. Number ten is "Hate Your Hometown." And, again, you kind of got to hear it in context. I don't hate my hometown, though at times I did. You know, kind of grew up wanting to get out of there. But this is about he's kind of sharing this with uh, his ex. He says, I hope when you go home you hate your hometown and you come back to me. Number nine is a song called One Beer, and that's uh, that was a big single. And, basically, it's about young love and, uh, you know, getting a little too deep in the jug one night. And next thing you know, you've got an unplanned pregnancy. But it all kind of works out in the end. Number eight is uh, Broke Boy. And, um, 
Yeah, it's about a Mississippi queen, as Hardy says, that uh, never thought she'd fall in love with a broke boy. And there's a bunch of us. You know what I'm saying? There is an absolute lot of us. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of broke fish in the dadgum Mississippi Sea, to say the least. Uh, number seven is truck, you know, about judging a boy by his truck, you know. And, and I, I really like the blue-collar appeal of that one. I don't drive a truck. I drive a muscle car, and uh, I don't know they'll ever drive a truck, but I respect those that do. Number six, uh, ain't a bad day for the world to end, and that's about you know, breaking up with your girlfriend. And I really like all, I like lyrically, I like where that song is. There's just so many good one-liners in that song. One of the best ballads in the catalog, and it, it applies to so many of my friends, one in particular that's listened to the show, and I've shared with him, hey, this song was written about you. But it's kind of, it's, it's, excuse me, it's entitled Sign Sober You. And basically, it's a guy that goes out to the bar, and he comes home, and he's left himself a note not to, uh, to call or message his ex-girlfriend. You know, he said, I know you think you miss her, but you don't, you know, and so talks about not going and looking through her Instagram or not hitting her up and that sort of stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a song about heartache, but it's very cleverly written. Number four, we're going with Luke Hancock's walkout, No Place Like Hometown. I, I, I just love the song. I, I, I love the message behind it. And maybe it's because I'm from small town Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like I, I was born in Canton, raised in Columbia, but home historical for me and I just like the way things move in small-town Mississippi. I mean, it's like there are a lot of places that I can go, and I may be somewhat unfamiliar with the surroundings, but I know the people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just kind of how it is around here. And especially if we don't talk about uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. If we don't talk about the Egg Bowl, we can all get along pretty good for the most part. But then there's those people that have those bad Bama bangs, you know what I'm talking about, and you kind of know they're almost people from across the room. You kind of know. It kind of makes you unsettled. You think, I don't know if I want to eat here, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I kind of love the fact that, uh, you know, we all grew up going to the creek. And, uh, you know, I, as a kid, I went down to Red Bluff. We had a good time. Man, we ran the roads, and we had a blast. And so I'm glad to be from small-town Mississippi. And so that's what this song kind of reminds me of. And there's so many things that happen in life, man. It's like, man, you got all these bills to pay, and you got kids to, to feed. And, you know, everybody goes off to college one day, and, and sometimes you forget where you come from. And that's what this song kind of does for me when I hear it. It kind of reminds me that at the end of the day, despite the fact I got all these demands on me, that I'm just a small-town boy from small-town Mississippi. Number three is, uh, is a song that is an absolute riot, man. I love this song. It's uh, unapologetically country, and it's one of those anthemic songs that most Mississippians, uh, you know, can can sing along to because you know people just like this like the chorus here it says uh you know my truck's where my money goes i got buck bled on my sunday clothes and directions to a honey hole that i'll never tell you know it's just it it reminds me so much of people that i grew up with and uh they they take such pride in all that stuff and and i absolutely love it and it reminds me of a simpler time you know Uh, number two and this is one of those songs, too, the more that I hear it, the more that I like it. And it's called uh, Give Heaven Some Hell. And it reminded me today of a guy that I grew up with named Mike Cook that, uh, you know, we lost to a tragic car accident when we were in high school. And uh, a lot of the things that Michael Hardy sings about in this song are, are some of the same messages that were in my heart. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you lose somebody young that you think, because when you're young, you think you're going to live forever. And so when you're touched by tragedy, you know, it's like it's just one of those things that stays with you. And I think about Mike Cook most days, 
and uh, he was the guy that kind of got me into rock music when I was a kid, and he was a couple years older than me, and I won't say that he was the best of influences, but he was my friend, and uh, he ended up dropping out of high school and went to work offshore, and he had a car accident, and uh, and it killed him, and it, it nearly killed the rest of us, too, you know, because one of those things when you're a kid, it's like all of a sudden you realize your own mortality, and so I think about Mike a lot when I hear this song, and uh, I've, I've read some comments on the YouTube channel where people talk about that this has been played at some funerals, and but... Um, it's a really good song, and it's not just a good time and type song. It's uh, it's really serious, and uh, I think you'll enjoy that. The, I think the video is incredible. But the, my favorite Hardy song, and it's so playful and so fun and so very Mississippi, but the name of the song is Rednecker, because you might think that you're redneck, but I'm rednecker than you. I, I love every line in this song. It's all, it's all so funny, and it's all so playful. Uh, If I remember correctly, it says, uh, so you think you got some county line cred because you drove a dirt road or two? You know, it's, you know, it's it's great. My truck's louder than your truck. I got a bigger bass and buck on my wall. I love it, man. And so that's the top 10 Hardy songs. And I know for many of you, this is an artist that you are unfamiliar with. So please familiarize yourself with the music of Hardy because he is one of us as a Mississippian. And he is one of us as a bulldog. And he is extremely talented. And uh, I hope to meet the guy someday. I really do. Because uh, I, I think one of the things in Mississippi we got to do is, especially when we don't have to jump across uh, egg ball lines, is we need to kind of you know support each other. And so uh, this is my attempt to turn you guys on to one of Mississippi's most talented musical artist right now an incredible songwriter an incredible performer look up those videos on youtube roy will have the spotify list up and i'm telling you if you've kind of forgotten where you come from and you put put uh, hardy's music on it will remind you really quick really really quick where you come from and it'll make you proud of all that so there you go top 10 lists brought to you by dr robert yarber of the ent physicians of north mississippi i will be at Campus Bookmart this Saturday from 10 to 12. Now, there could be a schedule change if they change the baseball schedule, but as of now, I will be there 10 to 12 for a book signing before we play Arkansas on a Saturday game. Come by, say hello. Come get personalized and signed copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, whatever. You can come visit, and we'll kick it for a little while. We'll talk some baseball. I'll tell you what else I'm working on or some cool things I've got in the works. And uh, excited about all of them. But Campus Book Mart is kind of home in many respects. Stand the man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. I love seeing their face. It's one of those things, too. You know, when I'm on the book tour, I go by there and I see them regularly. And then when I don't see them for a while, I kind of miss them. You know, and it's like I stay so busy. But when I go back in there, it's just kind of like reconnecting with friends. And that's how it'll be for you, too. These people are passionate about Mississippi State. They're passionate about the Mississippi State family. They're working hard to provide you with the most up-to-date, most fashionable Mississippi State merchandise you can possibly get. If you can't, go by and visit them in person. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. You know what it is? It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, bucks, absolutely Incomplete. Campusbookmart.net. 
So let's talk a little baseball. Uh, I had the opportunity to transcribe Dave Van Horn's post-game press conference after they uh, they took a couple games from Memphis this week. Uh, they're expecting bigger crowds than they're going to be here. They're expecting, you know, 14,000, 12,000, 14,000 type people. It's not going to be that big. Uh, we are going to have more seats available than we have at any point this year, and I know that's not enough for everybody. I get it. I understand it. I agree with you. I do. But I also understand that this is a process. And the, the very first thing that I hear from people is, well, Ole Miss did it. Well, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. I know that's what you think, but they didn't do that. They're not 100% either. They're not. Well, Steve, I saw it on TV. Well, you know, I, I talk to people that are actually uh, do the counting. You know, the, their paid attendance was about 9,000, and the actual attendance was closer to, uh, you know, maybe 6,500 or so. I mean, like you see all these students crammed in together, and you think the whole stadium's like that. It's not. And so, you know, we're all in this thing together, and I get it. Some people have been inconvenienced. I, I, I saw the people yesterday that are just like, you know what, I got on the, the ticket side at 8 a.m., and I wanted to get general admission tickets, and then, like, I, ne- I just needed, like, two for one game and couldn't get them. And I understand how frustrating that is. Yeah, I, I had difficulty getting tickets this week myself for, uh, for some family. And I, I feel like that I know everybody. But there's a lot of demand for tickets right now, and, and uh, there's probably no end to the demand for tickets right now. And so we handled the increase pretty well for Eastern Michigan. You know, we did some midweek stuff. We handled that well. You allowed people to buy general admission tickets and go sit in chair backs. And so now we'll get a chance to, to have, you know, a, a really big crowd, I think, with, uh, with Arkansas this weekend. I think if we handle that, I think we're going to get more of what we want for Kentucky. Now, it probably won't be everything that we want, but it'll be more of what we want. So please just be patient. And again, that's easy for me to say. I understand. I'm not trying to sit here and say that it's easy for me to say that when I got a seat on press row. I get it. I 100% get it. I'm not trying to say that I understand the struggle because I can only begin to imagine. And I've been in these situations before, before I was a credential member of the media, when I want to go to a ball game and couldn't get a ticket or I had to pay through the nose to get one and you just think, you know what, it's just not worth it. I watch it on TV. I, I get it. I want everybody to be able to be there. I do. And, you know, back here a couple months ago, that was the discussion. Hey, once they raise the restrictions, we're going to kind of rise with it. But, uh, you know, this, these are decisions that are made by people that have a lot more at stake than you and I do. And I know the, the, the popular thing to do is, is let's just all jump out here and blame John Cohen. And uh, that's a little bit short-sighted as well. You know, John certainly has a voice in this process, but to think that it's ultimately all John Cohen's decision, uh, if somebody's told you that, they have misinformed you. So let's just kind of work through this process and uh, let's have a great weekend of baseball against Arkansas. And then hopefully next week we'll, we'll get, begin to see more. And again, every week since Tate Reeves announced that he was going to leave it up to the universities, we have had more and more and more. And so let's go out here and be responsible and uh, kind of push things forward. Listen, I, I'm like you guys. I, you know, I want the biggest home field advantage we can possibly get. I'd love to have 25,000 people out there screaming bloody murder at the Razorbacks every time they get ready to throw a pitch because I want to win this series. We all do, right? I mean, it's not It's not like it's just another series. I mean, these guys swept us the last time we were up there. Tanner Allen and I talked about that in postgame. You know, he hadn't forgotten this has been this this has been two years in the making. This revenge tour 
it's been two years in the making. And people forget, you know, we were we were ranked, what I guess, number two in the country. And we went out there and got absolutely embarrassed. We got absolutely exposed in Arkansas. Their fans were all over our players. And you know what? I know I know that our folks in the left field lounge would never say anything inappropriate, though, right? I mean, I mean you know, right? We've got a boisterous crowd, too. And that's a big part of this this rivalry with them, this recent rivalry. I mean, you got – they think their stadium's on par with ours. It's not. They think their fan base is on par with ours. It, it, it's, it might be close. I mean, they're a very passionate group. They just don't have the facilities that we have, and they're working to expand things. And listen, they're – I got a lot of respect for Dave Van Horn and that Arkansas program. But uh, they're going to get our best shot this weekend. Arkansas currently 16-3 and overall and 2-1 and in the conference. You know, we had them uh, out in Arlington with us. They, they swept that weekend and went to number one in the country because they had three top ten wins right out of the gate. They have kind of nursed that along ever since. Do I think Arkansas is the best team in the country? I do not. And I think their pitching is kind of done with smoke and mirrors. And so I think this is a chance for us to make a big statement against a quality team that might be a tad bit overrated. I'm not trying to say that they're a bad team. They're a great team. They're an elite team. I just don't think they're number one. I don't know who is right now. It might be us. It might be Vanderbilt. I don't think it's Arkansas. And I think part of that is because they haven't really been tested since that opening weekend. Now, listen, I, I was so incredibly impressed with them, and I got in trouble with some Ole Miss folks. Not that I care about any of that, as you guys know. But people said, hey, who really impressed you at opening weekend? It was Arkansas. And what impressed me so much about Arkansas is they will not quit. They're a fun team to watch. They will get after you. They don't have elite pitching. I thought their pitching held up good that weekend. But, you know, they got down in that ball game to Texas Tech. And they kept battling and battling and battling and battling. They win the game 13-9. That's exciting to me. Then they come out and they, they blank Texas and they beat TCU. But I go back to that Texas Tech game. I mean, listen, I'm a huge Tim Tadlock fan. I love their approach to offense. And Arkansas beat Texas Tech at their own game. And so I came away really impressed. But they have not played anybody of note since then. The next weekend, they sweep a series against Southeast uh, Missouri State, a four-game set. And uh, one of those games, the opening game, went 10 innings against SEMO, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, then they had a three-game series against Murray State. They win the Friday game 7-6 to six against the Racers. You kidding me? How does that happen? How does Murray State almost win in Fayetteville? On Friday night, no doubt. Then they uh, they had the Louisiana Tech midweek thing and uh, had to go to extras to beat Louisiana Tech. I guess it was the best two out of three on weekend. Yeah, so they had to. They, so Tech should have won the game on Friday. They don't. Arkansas does. Give them credit. And then Arkansas came back and destroyed them on uh, Saturday. And then they win. Uh, Tech wins two nothing and gives Arkansas their first loss. Uh, that Sunday of the series out in Ruston. So they play Oklahoma in the midweek, and Oklahoma's a pretty good team. They're not elite by any stretch, but they're a good team. Oklahoma wins that game 8-5, and then Bama beats them on Friday night 16-1. Absolutely killed uh, Peyton Powell. So Arkansas loses three games in a row and somehow keeps at number one, which makes no sense to me. 
And then they, they came back and won the series and got really good pitching on Saturday and Sunday, won 9-1 to and 3-1. to I don't know how good this Alabama offense is, but this is the SEC. A couple of big wins over Memphis over the weekend, of midweek, and so they've, they've come in winning four in a row. They've also kind of shaken up their pitching rotation. I don't know if you've paid attention to this. Uh, Peyton Pallett, no longer the Friday night guy. They're going to throw Patrick Wicklander. We have seen Wicklander before in relief. This is a veteran guy. He's been around a few 24 hours. And so it's also this lefty-lefty thing. And I asked Chris Lamontis about it in postgame. You know, Chris says, hey, listen, you know, we hit left-handers better than right-handers. I'm happy to hear that, Chris, because I want to win this series. And I know you do too. And so let's look at some of these pitching numbers. So Patrick Wicklander is actually 0-0. He said five appearances, just made the one start, and only thrown 14 innings. So he's not going to be a high-inning guy. He's probably a guy they'll use as an opener to probably try to get through the order once and then maybe bring Peyton Powell in. Maybe. Because that way you got the lefty-righty type thing working for you there. Wicklander, 2.51 ERA this year, has allowed a hit per inning and just the four earned runs on the year, 14 Ks against four walks, has been somewhat susceptible to the extra base hit, uh, three doubles, a triple, and a home run. Opponents are hitting 273 against him. Uh, this is a guy, too, from a control standpoint, it's actually, actually pretty good. Uh, Zebulon Vermillion has been their best pitcher without a doubt. He's had a couple of games, uh, eight or nine inning type games, where he's pitched deep in the ball games. Uh, he has a 2-0 record with 2.13 ERA, five appearances, four starts, leads the team with 25.1 innings pitched. He's allowed just 11 hits. And just think about that for a second. He's had almost twice as many innings pitched, and it's allowed four less hits than Wicklander has. He's allowed just six earned runs on the year. He is not a big strikeout guy. And that's just, you know, it, it kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom about pitching. He's had 12 strikeouts and 11 walks. So, you know, this is a guy that gets a lot of ground balls. He, he doesn't punch you out a lot. So, we ought to be able to put the ball in play. But a lot of people are really excited about him, and he is going to pitch on Saturday. Opponents are hitting 129 against him, 129. So, they're going to throw Leo Lockhart on Sunday. Younger guy, a guy they think eventually will be, you know, a Friday or Saturday night guy in, in the years to come. Now, Lyle Lockhart is a one and one record, a 2.38. Pitched last weekend against uh, Louisiana Tech, or two weekends ago, and um, probably deserved a little bit better fate. They lose that ball game two nothing. He goes five innings, allows four hits and two runs, three Ks against the one walk, and then gets a loss. And they've won his other starts, as you guys know, but he's he's one of these guys around 75 pitches an outing. And then they got turned over to the bullpen. And that's where things have really gotten shaky with Arkansas is, is in the bullpen. And so that's why you've got Vermillion going deeper in ball games, And all of a sudden you're bringing one of your best relievers, Wicklander, to the mound to start. You know, we've made some changes in our rotation too. But, um, you know, we hadn't changed our Friday night guy. Peyton Pallett, of course, uh, their regular Friday night guys, one and one with a 3.72 ERA. Uh, six appearances, five starts, allowed 13 hits, eight runs, all eight of them earned, 10 walks, and 32 Ks. So a three-to-one uh, K-to-walk ratio, so nothing really out of sorts there. And a lot of singles against him, too. He's allowed just one uh, one double on the year. And, but Alabama rocked him 
last weekend. And so Van Horn said they wanted to get him back on the mound as a palate cleanser of sorts against Memphis. And so he pitched a little bit against them the other day. Uh, that's the one appearance he's had this year that wasn't a start. So those are the guys that we expect to see. Now, looking offensively at Arkansas, there's not a lot that really jumps out at you other than you would say, you know what, this is a really solid lineup. A lot of these names are really familiar. I mean, a lot of these guys were sophomores here a couple of years ago. We went up there and, and got swept and played pretty well against us. It's crazy how life works. But, uh, you know, uh, Casey Opitz is one of the best catchers in the country. Uh, he started uh, 15 games this year, 364 average, which leads the regulars. Uh, five doubles, a triple home run, hitting 364. He is a tough out. He is a guy that is a foul ball machine. Difficult guy to strike out. A guy that will spoil pitches, and, you know, you, you, he's a catcher, you know. So, this is a guy that kind of understands how the ball moves there. Uh, just eight strikeouts on the year, on base percentage of 426. Uh, so, Matt Goodhart had a really big game for them a couple nights ago against Memphis. He's a guy that's been around, played some at first base, hitting 292 now, uh, 13 starts on the year. But, again, he has been in and out of lineup some. Christian Franklin's another guy that, that they think a lot of. But kind of looking at these power numbers – uh, Brady Slavens leads the team with six bombs. Six bombs, 20 RBI. Another one of those guys, too, that you, you kind of look at all this and you begin to wonder, okay, where does Arkansas keep getting these guys? Just like Mississippi State, they just recruited at a very high level here. Looking at these numbers, though, he has not been as good as of late. Uh, had a couple of 0 for nights. As a matter of fact, uh, just had three hits. Uh, here in the last uh, week and a half. He had a really nice game against Oklahoma in the loss there. I had a three-for-four night, but then goes 0-2 against on Friday against Alabama, one-for-four, one-for-four, and then one-for-six against Memphis. And so hitting 304, but not really hot as of late. But uh, a guy that can hit some bombs for sure. And that's the thing, too. They're kind of built for their parks. It'll be interesting to see how they play uh, here at Duty Noble Field. But, you know, again – as a team, they're scoring some runs, but they're kind of scoring them. I won't say manufacturing's the way, but they play for the big inning. You know what I mean? It's not like they load the bases and they hit a three-run bomb or something or a grand slam. They just kind of stay after you. They stay after you, and it's a single here. It's a double there. They move runners really well there. Uh, 31 home runs on the year, which is among the, uh, the nation's best. But they've played an awful lot of games at Bomb Stadium. I mean, a ton of games at Bomb Stadium. And I think that's one of the things you begin to kind of look at here and say, you know, once you get out of, the, you know, your, your regular, you know, batting eye and get away from all that stuff, you know, how are you going to perform? They've allowed just 13 home runs on the year. So pitching-wise, they've been uh, decent, I guess, as a staff, but not overpowering. It's one of, again, you, you kind of look at this group and you kind of begin to wonder, you know, where, where it's all going to fall apart. And I think it's going to be pitching for them. One of the worst ERAs is a staff in the conference at 3.80. Opponent's ERA against Arkansas, 7.44. So they hadn't seen a lot of great pitching. They're going to see some this weekend. Um, Dave Van Horn even mentioned that, you know, and has said, you know, he's on record as saying that he thinks Vanderbilt has the best starting pitching in the country. And then Mississippi State probably has the deepest pitching staff in the country counting the bullpen. They, they think a lot of Landon Sims. I can assure you, they know who he is. This is a really good club, though. 
I mean, it, this is a really, really good club. It's going to be a great test for us. We're going to find out if we're for real this weekend. You know, it's like we said that last weekend, and I think we answered the bell there. But we're going to have two of our most difficult series under our belts after this weekend. And that's when you begin to look at these things. Okay, well, all of a sudden we got Kentucky coming in. we got to go to Auburn, you know. And so those are series that we're expected to win. You know, when you have a toss-up, and anytime that you got a toss-up on the road at OSU, you're having a good year. But you go down there and win that series, and now you've got some people in the national media that are expecting Mississippi State to take Arkansas. And, again, Arkansas is rated number one team in the country by most polls. And so what does that say about Arkansas when you're ranked number one but you're expected to lose the series? What does it say about your opponent? And, again, I'm not throwing any shade at Arkansas. I think a lot of people out there that kind of realize this is a special Mississippi State team. I think we're going to hit the baseball a little bit better this week. I, I, I don't think that Arkansas has the front-line pitching that LSU does, uh, at least the starters. Now, Vermillion's a guy that is a, is a stud. You know, again, he's not a big punch-out guy, but he's a guy that's going to have you hit his pitch. He's got some sinking action, gets a ton of ground balls. And so we'll kind of see how things progress with that. But um, you know, I had somebody in the Arkansas media tell me, yeah, I get State the advantage on Friday, Sunday. You know, and, and goodness, if, if, if we could take the Saturday game, you know, you've got a chance at a sweep. I'm not going to call for that, but I am going to call for State to win the series. I think that's exactly what's going to happen, and I think that's what needs to happen because I think Mississippi State is the better team. And then when you think about the fact that State is playing at home and you've got a motivated group of Bulldogs that remember what it was like walking out of Bomb Stadium two years ago. They've had to live with that for two years. They didn't get a chance to their revenge last year, so they've had plenty of time to think about it. Uh, guys like Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, Josh Hatcher, they remember all that. And listen, that, that's life and times on the road in the SEC. You know, it's like, I mean, it's not like Arkansas's fans are any meaner or tougher than anybody else. It's just a lot of them, you know. But uh, they love baseball just as much as we do. Mississippi State's pitching rotation was settled, and uh, as we have projected on the show now for a week, Jackson Fristo will be your Sunday starter. So, Christian McLeod on Saturday, Will Bednar, excuse me, McLeod on Friday, Will Bednar on Saturday, and then uh, Jackson Fristo on Sunday. Uh, that's a big part of things for us. You know, we are an elite pitching staff, and so we're going to win some ball games 2 1, 3 1, that sort of stuff. You know, offensively, I don't know if we have that guy in the lineup you got to pitch around. You know, we're solid one through nine, but I don't know if we have that superstar in the order that you look at and say, this is a guy that can carry your team for a couple weeks. You don't have a Brent Rooker on this team. We just don't. You don't have to have a Justin Foskey on this team. You don't have that guy that can come out there with, you know, two outs and two men on in the, in the third inning and hit a three-run bomb and give you some separation. You just don't have that right now. There are some guys, obviously, that can hit the long ball, but uh, there's not a guy out there you look at and you just say, you know what, this is our guy. I don't know if we have a guy like that on the roster. And those are the things that I, I begin to think, you know what, those guys can, can emerge over time. But there's nobody I look at and say, you know what, this is a guy that you look at and you got to pitch around him. I would say probably the closest thing we have to that is Luke Hancock. And people are kind of pitching around him some because they understand – if you miss inside to him, uh, you're going to end up on Sports Center. He's just one of those kind of people that's going to hit. You know, he can turn so quickly. His hands are so incredibly quick that uh, he can hurt you. He can absolutely hurt you. So let's take a look at these numbers real quick here uh, before we get out of here. Of course, State 17 and four, 12 and two at home, and uh, two of those losses we wish we had back. Right, we lost the game against two absolute stud pitchers and Old Thaw from Tulane and Albright from from Kent State 
But uh, 17 and four, nothing to sneeze about. Tanner Allen leads the team at 329. Uh, Cameron James is hitting 321. Look at these power numbers. Luke Hancock, five home runs, which leads the team. Cam James is there at four, leads all right-handers. Uh, Logan Tanner's got a couple of bombs, starting to see him come around. Tanner Allen's got a couple. We've got 17 as a team. We kind of knew that going in, that we were not going to have the power numbers that perhaps we did a year ago or two years ago. We kind of knew that. We knew we were going to be more of a doubles team, and that's been the case. And there's some couple guys out here I think could, could be double-digit home run guys. You know, obviously Luke Hancock and Cameron James are among that list. I really think – that uh, Logan Tanner is capable of doing that as well. I, th- I do think that he is a guy where we're approaching the halfway points. He's got to pick it up a little bit. But, you know, Josh Hatcher's another guy, too, you look at. This guy's got home run power, but, you know, there are some times out there in some at-bats, he, you know, he looks lost. But, um, you know, he's hitting the baseball pretty hard, and I think it's a matter of time before we kind of get that point of contact kind of figured out with him. Uh, Josh is kind of unfairly maligned at times by some of our fans. I don't know if you guys know this, uh, Josh has struck out 13 times this year, 13 times. Now, Tanner Allen, the best hitter on our team, struck out 15 times. Cameron James, uh, the guy that's got, uh, you know, most home runs on the right-hand side, he struck out 14 times. Luke Hancock leads the team in home runs, only struck out five times, been walked 21. So he's a very patient hitter. Logan Tanner struck out 13 times. Scotty DeBrule, 10. And so Josh is not striking out with greater regularity than other people. It kind of seems that way at times. And if you looked at Twitter, you would think that's the case. Rowdy Jordan struck out 14 times this year. Brad Cumbus, part-time player for us, struck out 10 times. And so it's not like Josh isn't putting the ball in play. There's some times that Josh hits the ball really, really hard. It's just right at somebody. And a lot of his power is to center. That's one of the things you'd like to see maybe change, maybe get your foot down a little bit quicker and pull that ball into the right center field gap and pull it over the right field wall. But his power is to center. He's hitting the ball out in front of the plate, but sometimes I think he's a little bit slow with his hands. But, uh, you know, Josh is a guy that I think a lot of, and I'm really appreciative of Josh for staying. A lot of people would have left a long time ago. Uh, Josh has started all 21 games at first. I don't look for that to change. You begin to kind of work your way through that. Uh, who, who are you going to put over there? Well, Brandon Pimentel kind of competed over there, um, didn't get the job, and some people are saying, well, let's just put Tanner Allen over there. Listen, I don't think you guys realize how many errors Josh Hatcher has erased for us at first base that I don't know that Tanner Allen could have got to, and that's not being critical of Tanner. I mean, you, you quite simply, Josh is a guy that's longer-limbed and has a bigger frame, and he's, you know, he's better – skilled at kind of digging that ball out of the dirt. And I wish he would stretch a little bit more. As a matter of fact, I've had a couple of former Diamond Dogs that uh, reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, can you get the kid to stretch? I wish I could, you know. I don't know how I bring it up to Chris Lamontis. Hey, Chris, I heard from this guy. And um, Josh Hatcher's not stretching to the ball. You know, it's like I think about that LSU play last weekend. You know, if Josh stretches for the ball there when uh, I guess it was uh, Kay Doty had that infield hit, if we stretch there, the guy's out. You know, and so that's something we got to work on. But, um, you know, I like our defensive lineup. I like our, our offensive lineup. And I think that we're going to be a much different team with Braylon Skinner in the lineup. And uh, he, and to Junior Ray's credit, Junior called this Braylon Skinner leadoff thing a long time before I did. I didn't know that we were ready to do it, to be honest with you. I said, you know, do we make that call one after one weekend? But we're not really making that call after one weekend, are we? 
I mean, the coaches had the benefit of seeing him in the fall. And so now all of a sudden, Braylon Skinner led off in the ball game against uh, North Alabama. And listen, with his speed, when he hits that chop, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a routine ground ball to short. When he chops one, they get that high chop on the infield. He is going to force some errors because of his speed down the line. And he's a guy, too, that can steal some runs for you. you know, he gets an infield hit. Next thing you know, he's taking second base and goes to third on the ground ball, and he can score on a sack fly. So I like it. I like having some speed out there on base in front of Tanner Allen. A lot of people don't know this. Tanner Allen's one of the fastest kids on the team. I don't want anybody slowing him down on a base pass. But I like our chances to win this weekend. I expect us to take the series. Let's take a quick look around the league before we get to some recruiting stuff, before we get out the door. We've already touched on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt wins game one at uh, Missouri. We're going to be on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday schedule next week. But uh, Ole Miss is at Alabama this weekend. We'd love to see Alabama take a game from Ole Miss. I would love to see Alabama sweep Ole Miss. I just don't expect that. And I hear that Doug Nikhazy's going to go out and try to give it a go this weekend too. So, I think the best-case scenario, if you're Mississippi State guys, you hope Alabama can take one uh, from Ole Miss. Tennessee will host LSU. Now, this is a sneaky good series here. I won't be the least bit surprised to see Tennessee take a game from LSU. I just – I don't know that they can match up pitching-wise. I don't know they can win two pitchers duels. I really don't. Kentucky is at Auburn this weekend. You know, Kentucky was just a couple innings away from sweeping Missouri last weekend. They kind of let it get away from them in a Sunday game. But uh, Auburn has really struggled as well. So somebody is going to get a big conference win this weekend. I honestly think it's going to be Kentucky. I, I really do. I think Auburn has struggled so much offensively. I think Kentucky will go down there and at least get one game, probably two. Florida is at South Carolina. I really think South Carolina has kind of been exposed a little bit. It's kind of a uh, – beer league softball team you know what i'm saying they're just really undisciplined hitters florida's got all the pitching uh you know what leftwich and mace can do and so i like florida to get on there and take that series and probably sweep that deal georgia's at a&m a&m has really struggled the problem with georgia is they can't score so this will again i'm expecting a split here won't be surprised if a&m wins this and won't be surprised if georgia does i think they're, they're pretty much uh, identical programs in many respects. A&M did not pitch it well last weekend against Florida. Maybe a little bit different this week. We'll see at home. And, of course, uh, you know, Arkansas is at Mississippi State. So, uh, again, excited about the weekend. You should be as well. And I hope you get a chance to come to Duke Field and be a part of it. And if not, my hope is maybe next weekend that you'll be with us. Let's talk a little recruiting sponsored by the folks at Portico. Make Portico your next move. Many of you have considered moving to Starkville or maybe buying an investment property in Starkville, or perhaps a retirement home here in Starkville. And so Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog outfielder Brooks Bryan, we owe a debt of gratitude to Brooks for uh, robbing a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. And so you're dealing with somebody you know that is a reputable name within our, our Mississippi State family. I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. You should too. So give Brooks a call uh, about Portico. And, and many of you already have. There, if you're looking to move soon, you need to make a call soon. Just a handful of houses remain in phase one at Portico. So where is Portico, Steve? I'm so glad you asked. When you come off of 82 and you turn on the 12 heading into Starkville, you know, right before you get into town, that very first ride is Pat Station Road, which will lead you to Garrett Road. Right there at the stop sign as you cross Old West Point Road, 
takes you to Garrett Road, right there behind the Cry for Jeep dealership. That's your new place. 1.1 miles from campus, got a walking trail, got uh, a great pavilion area. You're going to absolutely love it. Uh, you know, a, a home for every size family, too. Two bedroom, two bath, four bedroom, four bath, whatever you need. Give Brooks a call today. Go ahead and do it. You've been putting it off. And a lot of you guys are thinking, well, you know, I don't know if she's ready to move. Guys, she's ready to move. Okay? She is. She's ready for the new house. She's ready for the new furniture. She is. She's just waiting for you to make the call. So call Brooks today. Step up. Get in the batter's box. Do the deal here for you and your family. Call Brooks at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601 601- 416-8075. It's, you know, I'm just going to tell you, once you start talking about it, you'll make it a reality. And, and for many of you, it's been one of those things, well, maybe we'll do that someday. Someday's here. Someday's here. Make the call today. Get the information. Because all of a sudden, you know what you're going to be thinking about? You know what? If I, if I moved to Starkville, if we moved up there, you know what? I could be there for all those Tuesday, Wednesday baseball games. I could be there for all those basketball games. We'll get season tickets to everything. What do you need TV for anyway? I mean, I, I, I rarely ever watch TV anymore. I live here. All my entertainment is right there on campus. Yours will be too. Give Portico a chance to take care of you. Make it your next move. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. The uh, Joshua White situation is rather interesting. So I want to share with you a few things that I've learned. So I had been told... I guess about a month ago, that actually Malachi Madison is a guy that we're recruiting might actually be a better player than Josh White because Malachi is you know a true defensive end, a guy with a great and explosive first step, and uh, Josh White is a guy that's claiming a bunch of offers and he may actually have those, but his film doesn't necessarily match his offer sheet. So there was discussion here in the last week that hey he was ready to make the call and going to commit to Mississippi State. Now my honest opinion is. I think Josh is probably kind of realizing, you know what, I need to be thinking of making a decision soon, and I'm sure he's probably worked through some of his options and kind of is figuring out who will take him and who won't. And there are a lot of those offers that are out there that are basically, you know, social media offers. You know what I'm saying? It's like some coach reaches out, some position coach or area recruiting coach, and says, hey, we'd love to have you. Here's an offer. And uh, then all of a sudden they don't hear from him very often. And you're like, hey, you know, listen, I need to be thinking about this. I don't want this hanging over my head. And so some of these guys begin to kind of compare notes, and they reach out, and they say, hey, coach, if I wanted to commit today, could I commit, or who do I talk to? What's the process? Well, you know, we need to talk to the position coach, or we need to talk to coach, and do that. And they begin to slow play him and put him off. And I think that was kind of the case with Josh White. I think, you know, he, he probably talked with some guys here at State and said, you know what, I might be ready to do something soon. Will you take me? And then – I think in the end, Josh has kind of found out that you know, maybe Mississippi State's not quite ready to take him. And and the reason why is not necessarily a reflection of him. When you look at what we're recruiting in the state of Mississippi right now, you Trevion Williams out of Crystal Springs. I think the guy that's going to end up on the D line. You got Don Terry Russell. You got R.J. Moss. You got Jaheim Otis. You got Xavier Harris. I think when you look at the value of in-state defensive linemen. I think you got to start there first. We don't have any defensive linemen committed just yet. I think you're going to see that change here in the next few weeks. I think we're going to turn the heat up on a couple guys. But when you have better players at home, why would you take a guy you're not completely sold on from the, from the state of Georgia? And what happens if Georgia Tech or somebody like that gets really serious with them and then all of a sudden you, you know, you've 
you've taken a guy and you've lost a guy, then you can't replace him with a guy of value within your home state. And, and I just think that we can do a lot better at home right now. Speaking of in-state players, uh, Trent Singleton's a guy that has talked for some time about making a decision sometime in April. I believe it's going to be Mississippi State. I really like Trent Singleton a lot. I, I do. I, I think he grows into a safety. I think he's a guy that may cut his college teeth at corners, at corner. But I, I really like him as an athlete. He plays quarterback there at Raymond. Now, he's not a college quarterback. But he is a very athletic and very serviceable high school quarterback. This is a guy that can uh, – he can throw the fade, and when you know, when you got the safety over the top, he'll tuck it and go. I mean, I really like his package. I like that he's a guy, too. When you look at his skill set, this is a guy that can help you. I do like him on defense because he will run. I think he's a guy that's a bit of a developmental guy, but I think that he will be a great addition to this program. I think that probably happens during the month of April. Carter Edwards is a guy we've talked about at length. Uh, going to take one more visit to Mississippi State and then possibly make a decision. I, there was a lot of discussion about making the call prior to the end of the spring semester, and now there's some discussion, well, we might take some official visits. I want to caution you guys, too. I, I know I see these graphics all the time on Twitter. Uh, nothing has been approved for official visits in June. N- nothing. I know some people are jockeying for position and say, hey, we're expecting this rule to pass. Uh, we're expecting a dead period to be lifted in May. You know, I'm told that um, there's a possibility that they're going to allow players on campus in July and that June is still kind of up in the air. You know, we're not going to have, you know, these cattle calls for football camps this year either. Now, that I've, I've heard and read some things about that. It says, you know what, they want to get the legitimate prospects on campus. And so that's still a matter of discussion. So when you see these things and you see these kids tweeting out and you say, hey, well, why did Mississippi State got kids set up for visits? Well, it's because right now there are no visits to be had. And I wouldn't want to be that coach that has to call a kid who's got his heart set on, okay, I'm going to be visiting the second week of June, and how great is that going to be? And then all of a sudden i got to call and say, hey, man, NCAA didn't approve the rule. we got to reschedule you. And then you don't know when you're going to be able to reschedule them. I'm not a big fan of these summer visits anyway. I'd much rather do it later in the process. But, you know, we didn't get to do official visits last year. And even if things are kind of turning in the right direction, I could understand you you want to get guys on campus. But if they're going to allow face-to-face recruiting on campus, you know, what's to say you can't just set up a barbecue or or something like that? You know, have, you know, priority targets and their families come and uh, get to know the staff and get to take tours and kind of have a mini junior day. What's wrong with that? You know, and so when you see that stuff out there, kind of take it with a grain of salt because, again, nothing has been approved. All right, we're going to get out of here. And, uh, again, long show again today. I know you guys appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back on Monday, hopefully talking about a Bulldog win in the NIT. Could have two over the weekend. And we're hopefully talking about an SEC series win over the University of Arkansas. I'm excited about every bit of that, and you should be as well. If you're looking for books, go to alphadogsthebook.com, and you can get personalized copies of everything that I've written. Happy to do it. There are many people that reach out, despite the fact they listen to the show and say, hey, Steve, I love the show. Where can I get the books? Well, that's where you get them. There's also been a run of Stark Villain shirts here as of late, thanks to Angel Camp that wore the Stark Villain shirt on the broadcast of the Mississippi State baseball game. And uh, Jason and those guys are, you know, have had to kind of replenish some stock there and uh, starting to see some pictures on social media again. 
So if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and you darn well should be, you can go to StarkVillains.com. Lots of options for you there. Go check it out today. And uh, we'll look forward to being with you again on Monday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.